This weekend is a, uh, a big sports weekend. Of course, you've got the Six Nation rugby that Scotland won yesterday. Um, see, I don't know as a newcomer whether rugby or football is, which one's the bigger sport in, in, in Scotland. And um, then you've got golf and you've got all kinds of other sports um, that, that happen. But in the United States, you see, there'd be no question. What's happening today in Atlanta, Georgia, in the brand new Mercedes-Benz stadiums, the Super Bowl. This is something that, even if you don't watch it, you're aware of it. Because in America, there is this old culture of advertisements of commercials that grow up around it. And some companies have even made the decision that, oh, we're not going to advertise during the Super Bowl. We're going to do the pregame and the postgame. And then, of course, all the ads will be online so that you can go there. And I mean, imagine going and looking out for an advertisement. But you see, commercials, a lot of them work on making us uncomfortable that we don't have either something or an experience. Because more and more, vehicle, you know, more and more things are being sold as an experience. Now, when I read part of this passage, Oh, you little faith, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what should we eat, what should we drink, or what should we wear? I said, you know, that almost covers all the different kinds of Super Bowl ads they would have. I mean, you know, you got all the beer commercials, the soda commercials, the fast food commercials, the car commercials. What don't you have? And it has created, in some ways, a culture of anxiety that, in some ways, is not just, I've got to have this, but what am I missing out on? And so that anxiety has become the new normal. And what I see is that, and we're thinking about stewardship, is that anxiety and generosity battle in our hearts. See, oftentimes, the ability to be generous is because you're saying, oh, I'm not sure I can do that because of tomorrow, because of this or because of that. We hold back, even though God has blessed us. And so you have anxiety and generosity battling in our hearts. The passage says, for where your treasure is there, your heart is also. We also know that anxiety produces frustration. Now, we're going to look at a number of these things, and one of the... Challenges in preaching from the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus dives right into our hearts and he uses questions and he uses, uh, in this case, there are what I think of as a particular teaching style where he'll say something negative and then he'll say, okay, but here's the positive. Here's what's true. You know, he starts off, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But, 
You see that, that teaching style of saying, don't do this, but do this. Of getting your help, your, you know, because what he's doing is he's, I won't say he's playing to, but he's, he's using the reality of our anxieties to get our attention. I mean, think about that. Think about when you look at his questions, what he's doing is, is he's saying, he's laying bare where our hearts really are. Because that's part of the point of this, this whole part of the Sermon on the Mount, if not the whole Sermon on the Mount, is he says, where are your hearts? There are different questions, you know, who do you serve, who do you seek? Those are very personal questions that sometimes have embarrassing answers by our behavior or the attitudes in our hearts and our minds, our concerns, the way we relate to each other. So, in organizing things, I've picked out verse 21 to start with, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you see how he just makes that statement a fact? What you value is a reflection of where your heart is. Now, of course, he's going to end this section, you know, do you serve God or do you serve money? In other words, money represents an idolatry because it's not God. Idolatry is woven in and out of this. In verse 19, it starts, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How do you make a deposit in heaven? How do you do that? Well, you remember back to last week's sermon, to an earlier part of the Sermon on the Mount, when he says you look for what? Your father's rewards. What is your father's reward? Himself. See, we lay up our relationship with God in heaven. It's, it's not in terms of coin. It's not in terms of jewels or crowns. We lay up for ourselves in heaven that relationship with God. That's what's going to last. And see, if you tie it in with the text of the Sermon on the Mount and you say God rewards us, and how does he reward us? By giving himself. And so now we say, how do you lay up a treasure in heaven? If God is not our treasure, that's not where our heart is. Do you see how he weaves this all together and he's trying to bring us to see clearly what the issues are? There your heart will be also. We have to be careful that we don't spend most of our lives hiding our hearts thinking we can hide them from God because we can hide them from other people. We have to be very careful that we aren't creating either artificial or temporary treasures that won't last. 
See, I'm not saying don't have a retirement plan, don't have a medical plan, don't have this or don't have that. But don't make that your ultimate place where your heart is. Because it will disappoint. See, verse 20, but lay up for yourselves. See, that, that in Christ's eyes is a possibility. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be. And isn't that not what God wants, is our heart? He wants our heart. He wants our heart heaven-bound. That's why... Um, He, he, he makes us choose. No one can serve two masters, he says. <clears throat> Either he hate the one, love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Do you see how he's setting up this contrast? Do you see how when Jesus is preaching, he makes you think, you say this and you follow with that, and now he's giving you a choice where he says, you, you cannot... This is the words of Jesus Christ. You cannot serve God and money. And money represents all the idols that are possible. You can't do that. It's God or nothing. It's God or everything else. See, Jesus is looking for action from those who Say, my father. To ask us who we serve. And who we serve is a question Christians have battled in their different cultures, languages, cults, everything else. Say, how do I follow him and him alone? How do I serve him? You see, one of the things about laying up a treasure in heaven in today's world is that we are so into the now, into the realities, and we are not willing to think about heaven as part of our lives and part of what we are about. That I can lay up that treasure in heaven, and that treasure in heaven that I'm laying up is my relationship with my Father, the reward he gives me. But then he tells us something that even hits us harder, particularly, I think, in our culture. Three times he says, do not be anxious about your life. Now, I, I will tell you that, that that repetition that we're going to look at, it's like God said, Fred, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you live through that this week. Because I battle anxiety. It's not debilitating for me. But yet I'm aware it's there. I'm worrying about tomorrow. I'm worrying about this. I'm worrying about, you know. I worry about the church. What is its tomorrow going to be? 
We're going to keep the roof on. I mean, I think of all these crazy illustrations that God has given me in Scotland about making sure we continue on and wanting that because we want to give him the glory. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And again, he gets very practical. He talks about things that we struggle with. Verse 30, at the end, what I call, you know, the very end, that's tied in with 31, would be the verse I want you to take with you for the rest of the week, because it's addressed to me as well. O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? See, what I'm asking God to do in Fred's life is every time I see a commercial, I want him to say, where's your faith? Instead of being seduced by the anxiety created by an advertisement, I want it to push me back to my faith in God. So that every time Fred sees a commercial, I want it to push me back and Oh, you of little faith. Because the commercial wants me to be anxious and God wants me to have faith. God wants you to have faith. No matter what your situation is. Now, you you notice the... I'm not sure what they call it. Pastoral compassion, the straightforwardness. I mean, if your pastor walked up to you and said, Oh, you of little faith. That's what Jesus is doing to this crowd, to his disciples that he's on this mountain with. He's recognizing that they're immature. Now, see, I look at the Sermon on the Mountain and I say, if that's what you give to immature people, all those challenges about their heart and in this basic issue, I mean, you go back to the second part of uh, chapter 5 and you see all the things that deal with the heart there. And now here... Oh, you little faith. And he deals with the basic things of life, what we eat, what we drink, what we wear. Verse 34. I won't say this is the knife in the heart, but boy, I tell you, this is something that just should... That hits me. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. How many people are worried about tomorrow or next week, and that is just bearing them down rather than saying, okay, what about today? See, anxiety is different than planning, anxiety is different than creating resources to deal with issues, anxiety is just worry. It's not solving a problem. It's creating a problem. Anxiety feeds on itself. It goes viral within us. It becomes that virus that eats us up. And so to sort out in your mind, am I being anxious about next week or am I planning or applying resources? Am I doing something about next week? Or am I just worrying about it? 
I think sometimes for parents, we can compound anxiety because we love our children so much. I could tell you a story about yesterday in our family. So so I can tell the Seth story, right? (laughs) Well, we got a text from our daughter. And we supported our grandson. He's 10, right? Now. And he's done it before. He was going to run in a charity fun drive because he, he plays baseball and they have this 5K where kids can raise money and run and things like that. But you remember six months ago, he had had a heart condition and put him in the hospital. Now, they were supposed to see the doctor on, was it Thursday or something like that? And that got canceled. So do you let Seth run? Do you say, okay, if you start to hurt, stop. Dad's going to follow you on a bicycle. (laughs) And he did just fine. He did his 5K in 34 minutes. You know, I mean, he, he ran and he ran with his friends. But you know, as parents, you know, you can make wise decisions because sometimes when you make medical decisions about your children, you know, you say, I wish we had really gotten to go to the doctor because I'd feel a lot better if the doctor said, yeah, let him run, let him run. Rather than relying on preceding thing where it said, let him run, let him run. And so sometimes our love turns into anxiety. We need to learn to separate that. Now, the last challenge for this passage, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, God is, Jesus is bringing something new because now he's talking about seeking the kingdom. Now, the kingdom is what I think of as covenant language. You're looking at the one who made the covenant, the one who rules. You're to seek him first because the kingdom's in the king. King's gone, the kingdom's gone. That's one of the things about kingdoms that is so powerful. And when you read and, and see the history and you look at all the different kingdoms that come and go, and someday we'll have a discussion about why I think God uses the word kingdom rather than <clears throat> empire, and empire was a word that was available, but he chose kingdom. That's for another discussion. But again, he's talking about seeking. Are you seeking God's kingdom, God's rule in your life and on earth? And then he says, in seeking his righteousness. Now, there's two ways that we can look at this that are both valid. One is the Genesis 15, 6, the justification by faith, faith, that gets us righteous. We are declared righteous. His righteousness is transferred to us. Because remember, that's what justification by faith is, that your sins are forgiven, and you are now 
You have the righteousness of Christ. So I, you know, seek him through faith. The second one, though, again, we go back to last week's sermon. Remember how he started it? When you are doing your righteousness in public, it was about giving to the needy. We do righteous things. We do things that please God, that honor God. So when we seek his righteousness, we we first of all know that we do it by faith and we can never earn it. And when we do acts of righteousness like giving to the needy, we do it because we have been loved first because he has given us everything. Now I want to close with a couple of observations that come out of a lifetime of studying anxiety. You see, I I think that anxiety often, because it is a heart issue, Jesus tells us that. We can't ignore it. It is a heart issue that grows out of loneliness and alienation. See, both of those have to do with the fall. You're separated from God. You're alienated from God. You're lonely. We have... In the English-speaking world, all of the UK, the United States, Canada, to some extent, they're so mellow, they're probably never anxious up there, but anyway. (laughs) See, people who are lonely are, are alienated. They're also anxious, and oftentimes they're also angry. So that when we see anxiety as a symptom of our lives or the lives that we know, we know that they are not connected with my father. You see, that's that's one of the beautiful things about that phrase, to be able to call God my father, should increase our faith so that we are not anxious. That I have a relationship with the father in heaven, and so tomorrow is going to be tomorrow. And he is going to, as he promises here, I mean, look at the illustrations, the birds and the flowers, and all we have to do is live in Scotland. I mean, we got off the bus yesterday, and we're walking along, and it says, look at this. And there were these yellow buds coming out of the snow on this bush. It wasn't a mine. Yeah. I mean, you, all of a sudden, you just have this beauty right there in the midst of the snow. God did that. And every time you see God's beauty in creation, you should say, he takes care of me better than that. I mean, think about that. Think about the daily assurances in our surroundings that God gives us to increase our faith. But we also know that anxiety produces both fear and anger. They are spiritual issues that need to be addressed. And in families, they should not be overlooked and say, oh, that's just aunt so-and-so or brother so-and-so or this or that, and just say that's the way they are. They don't have to be that way. Someone does not have to be perpetually anxious or perpetually fearful. Those are spiritual issues that Jesus Christ wants to address in people's lives.
And lastly, when we think about stewardship in this series, see, stewardship is about generosity. And when you see the generous examples in nature that Jesus uses to try to get our imagination and our attentions not to be anxious, that when we look outside, then we should say, okay, my heart and my treasure are with God. Not with my efforts, but they are with my Father. Let us pray. Father, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would take that word, that name that you have given us to call you, because we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that when the world wants us to be anxious, we would remember your name and say, teach us to have a strong faith. Don't let that anxiety from the commercialism of the culture that we live in attack our faith. And we pray, Father, that with the people that we love, where we see fear and anger, when we see alienation and loneliness, that we indeed would realize that you, Father, are part of the answer. That your love expressed through your word and through your people can change lives. And so, Father, we pray as we think about the words in this, as we think about the choices you give us, is it going to be God or is it going to be money? Are we going to seek your kingdom and your righteousness? Knowing that you will add all these things I mean, it's beyond what we can imagine, but you'll add them to our lives. We pray these things, Jesus, in your most precious name.